Hello and welcome to episode number 86 of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. It's my pleasure to bring you the second half of the amazing conversation that started last episode with the Unsinkable team. As we move into the second half, they give us an opportunity to think about what it means to hear the story through someone else's ears and to experience what it is they're experiencing and how that can better inform the story we're trying to tell. I also get the opportunity to find out if I missed anything, which is one of my favorite moments in a conversation. I usually have questions I think that will be helpful, but hearing the ones I didn't ask and the answers that go with them, well, join me now for the second half with the Unsinkable team. The specificity that John was able to inject in, in, in both of these, it really worked very well as a team. Um, uh, but the, that set up everything in terms of being able to then give a judgment. And yes, then some actors are going to have their own interpretation of everything you give them for sure. And then it's just, you know, it's honing or whatever. But it's really it's acting 101, really, in any instance. It's like, where have you come from? What, uh, what do you want? And, uh, and, you know, how specific are you going to be with those decisions? And, and getting into that was um you know was what then enabled us to create these scenes and as i said when you hear it back and you you put them together i would um i would hazard most people will not think about the fact that uh when somebody is speaking to somebody they're actually you know giving that performance from thousands of miles away down a series of ones and zeros through a microphone you know i'm going to take advantage of the fact of a couple of things one when you guys have been describing this i i continue to picture that lovely moment from the Steven Spielberg Jurassic Park movie where he wanted to give you the idea of what's the ominous feeling of something dangerous coming your way and it starts with a puddle mm. mm-hmm. and you watch that mm. puddle vibrate and then you watch that yep. puddle vibrate again and you know that there's something connected to that vibration but right now the camera is only going to show you this moment and allow it to build the suspense that continues mm-hmm. to increase And I can imagine that with audio, that would be something that you would have an opportunity to explore. What sounds help increase tension? What sounds add to the experience that can direct the mind's eye to understand what's occurring and to activate it using the emotions? We all know when when we hear certain sounds, they, they are triggers for us. They let us know that something comforting is coming. If it's the ice cream truck, if you're a kid, that's the reason you grab your money and you run outside because there's treats on the way. But if it's an alarm bell or a fire alarm, there's a feeling of panic, of confusion, of, and you're using those sounds to trigger. But then Misha, you did this wonderful job of describing ones and zeros. And I like to read interviews that you guys give. It's part of my research. And you gave this great description, which I think might be really helpful for what we're talking about in that you said that uh, you'd experienced a lot of, well, broken promises as you described it. And that this was what I felt was my favorite part in our society and America, especially, I feel there's a binary benchmark that we use to define success and failure. That's the binary part I'm keying into there. The problem with that is you miss most of the story. Life is not always black and white and shades of gray is where I've learned the most. Failure is not always negative, and if children weren't allowed to fall over when they were learning to walk, we'd all still be crawling. I I love that quote because I think it introduces the process of exploration that I imagine had to be involved 
and the discovery that came with this story. You're trying to create these environments and you're testing things and some things work and some things don't. I was wondering two things. One, if there were any discoveries that you guys made along the way in the attempt to do something where you found something else and went, I know we're looking at this, but we got to look over here for a second. We have to widen our, our lens and see things in a 180 or 360 degree view in order to consider our options. And then two, I was curious uh, if any opportunities came from the fact that both you and Andrew uh, and Andrew Chime in wherever, had both worked on independent film projects previously and that you had learned sort of potentially how to make things work even when you didn't have the resources or when an independent project simply has to get done no matter what other extenuating circumstances might be in the way. So I know that's a long-winded description that has many pieces involved and you're welcome to unpack it any way you want. Anyone else is welcome to enjoy but that was something that really stuck with me and I wanted to bring it to the forefront. Well, I can give an example of that, if you like. Um, a short film that I did, in fact, the one Misha's in, I had written a scene where you cut back to a hospital bed um, and you discover that someone's been in a coma for a long time and there's, a, there's been a road accident and all this stuff. And so I wrote the scene when we were going to have to film, you know, find a hospital room set and with someone in it and record it all with all the equipment and it was the director, I think, who just said, we don't need any of that. All we need is the beep, beep, beep of the monitor. I was going to say something very similar. I was going to say that the, the most powerful sound in audio is silence. Mm. And that less is often yeah. more for that reason. Yeah. In fact, that's exactly right. And there's going to be a moment of silence in episode 10, I think, 9 or 10, where she's in the middle of a huge storm, the tanker. And she's approached by a wave so big that it cuts That's out. That's exactly the bit I was thinking and of. <laughs> yeah. And for the first time, you will hear just their breathing and they're not shouting anymore. And it's like, where's the wind gone? Oh, it's that. Um, and that's going to, and then she's going to be hit by this wave. And so that's an example, as you say, less is more of a moment of silence. And there's a leaf motif I try and put in everything that I, it's a little, it's a little signature of mine. And I, I, I was doing a play in London, The Secret of Sherlock Holmes, and um, I suggested to the amazing director, Robin Herford, a moment in, uh, uh, in, in a moment of uh, quiet that you just hear a teacup being, a teacup being stirred with a, with a spoon. It's that moment of just ching, 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 to, to bring everything down. And I've put it in a couple of places, and there's a wonderful moment actually in the movie called The Bridge Too Far, uh, where that's used. Um, when the intelligence guy shows pictures of German tanks, which shouldn't be there. Mm. And so that's going to be a moment. Um, and you'll just have to listen out for it. I'm going to tell you. What. <laughs> but, and, and, so think, and, and continuing even from, you know, what, what John said there and, and we, we, these moments that have been in some cases preconceived and, and there, right there, scene description, black and white, know it's going to work. And the majority of times they do. And then sometimes you can use a foundation of something to, to build upon it and something better will come out. You might think something's going to be better and it's absolutely not working at all, but that's okay. Again, like it's, it's okay to, to, to try something and, and go down a rabbit hole and realize that it doesn't lead to anywhere, but at least you've, you've tried it. Um, you know, it, you, you, I think you, maybe you get better at, at learning how not to, uh, to cause so much pain with yourself uh, for that. 
by you know by adding in all sorts of other little frills with it and stuff you just start building sort of some some basic foundations of something it's like oh can this work it's like oh you know okay it can and you and and you get feedback you people you trust you you talk about it as well at a certain point as well i remember there was there was a moment when we were putting together the um uh, the proof of concept trailer for this um uh we kind of from from where the the script was at, we'd taken certain moments uh, of that, and uh, John had uh, had put them together into a uh, an actual you know uh, a script for that trailer, as it were, so we could go out, we could film, um, or not film, we could uh, we could have the different actors uh, record and put them together, and so much of it was on the page, uh, and but then when you when you when you cut, you realize, oh okay, maybe maybe that wasn't necessary or that wasn't necessary for this moment in the context of actually having the, 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 the flow of it. Right. And a transition into to, to a certain scene, or maybe something's just not um, sitting. And you were talking about tension. You were talking about, you know, what sort of sounds you'd use, what sort of, uh, you know, and that you brought out that moment for Jurassic Park. As I understand it, and I don't know quite why I know this, it may have been a documentary at some point, they struggled for the longest time with that particular moment, with that water you're talking about in that glass, those ripples, because they couldn't get it to look right. They tried to, to shake the car and the water just sort of like fumbled around and all of that. They tried to sort of to, 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 to do all these different things, even I think there's a sort of bass sounds to see if they could get it done. And what they ended up doing, I believe, was they had uh, a, a kind of uh, almost an upside down trampoline, which, which was pulling from below and, bring, and, pu- and pushing up air. And then it created those ripples. Right. Those, those ripples that everybody can see quite, quite vividly, which uh, they, they, they circle outwards. And there was a moment I was I was struggling with when we were putting together the um, the proof of uh, concept trailer, which was how. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily struggled; it would have flowed absolutely fine. Uh, but there was uh, there's a moment that John uh, uh, John, who's playing Captain Wait in that, says that we're going to abandon ship, and that the at that point the uh, the horn goes off in the ship, and uh, it's going to be. Um, uh, I believe it's seven short and one long. And um, we talked about then using those as big punchy trailer moments when those those seven short uh, blasts go out. But the initial one, just to, to, um, to establish it, felt like there could be something there. And I was playing around for just hours, hours, going down rabbit holes that unfortunately sometimes weren't leading to anywhere. Um, and then I just left the computer and just uh, and took a drive, and um, instead of trying to figure it out on the screens, uh, I just um, thought about it. Just thought about, hey, how um, how could we do this best? How could we create a moment that would be um, more interesting? And um, what came out of it was just like, well, what if we slow down time for a second? What if we slow down everything so that then we can focus in? on the sound of that horn being epic, all of these people screaming around us, right, who are, are in jeopardy for their lives, the shells going off, all of that, we start hearing all of that slow down, the, sh- the, sh- the shell casings hitting the, uh, hitting the deck so we can start focusing in on them. And then we come out of it and we speed up into a crescendo, and then everything's back to, um, back to, to full speed. And I didn't know how to do any of that. 
I just knew that that would probably sound cool. And I just came back into the box and then just figure out how to do it afterwards. Is that what you were after? <laughs> well, we, we need to unpack the other part of the question, which is um, the indie film in terms yes, of commonality between indie film and, and audio. One of the things I love about audio and one of the things I love about indie film, I mean, I've you know worked on big shows in my, in my day and everyone's got their very defined role. It's a big shoot and... Um, you know, it, it's it's collaborative, but it's defined. Indie film, you don't have the money. Everyone's doing multiple jobs. It's it's collaborative by its by its very DNA. And audio is the same. Good good audio production. The reason why you know what we do at B Seven, what what Misha's doing uh, now with, with with his setup, it's we we've got a fantastic collaborative team from the writers, the sound designers, the composers, the actors, post production, and so forth. And we're all we all want the same thing, which is to do the best we possibly can to tell the most compelling story in the most compelling way, the most immersive way. And mm. and, and in terms of commonality in, in the spirit, the spirit of indie film and the spirit of innovation and creativity that's that's now in abundance in, in terms of the audio drama space. Those, those, those are two very clear commonalities. Mm. Mm. And the ability to do that is based on the, uh, the people you decide to do it with. Um, yep. the, um, the promises that I talked of that have been broken. I spent um, many years in Hollywood um, with, uh, with many people that, you know, will, not, not promise you the world, but promise you just enough to, uh, to make you believe that something can happen. And you know what? You learn along the way. A lot of those people actually maybe do believe they can do what they say they can do. Um, but when it comes to, um, uh, to financing, I mean, gosh, you and, you know, every other filmmaker in town is, uh, is trying to get your project financed at any particular time. And um, the more and more I learned about that process um, with, you know, some of which with, with, with people, you know, on, on this call going through some of the ups and downs of that. Um, the more and more I learned about how to make that work. Uh, and it's, you know, it sounds, sounds simple. It's not, but if you, you know, if you, if you work backwards from it uh, and uh, in many cases show people how to get their money back, then you can usually, uh, you can usually raise it um, in terms of, um, the last one we did that uh, John's actually uh, one of the uh, co-executive producers on, we, um, we had another project uh, scheduled to shoot. And um, it was about two weeks before principal photography. We'd been financed. It was still, you know, relatively low budget. We're talking just uh, in and around that one, two range. And I was actually one of the lead actors in it as well. And I'd, uh, I'd starved myself for, for many, many months because this character had to, to, um, uh, to be underweight for this particular, um, uh, for this particular role. And, uh, two weeks before, uh, the finance company, uh, went back on, uh, went back on their agreement and we were left with a whole crew that we'd set up a whole, you know, all, all, all the promises that we'd made then made it subsequently to everybody else. We had to, to let down and uh, very uh, underweight Misha is quite grumpy. Uh, and we, uh, we, we shifted, shifted the narrative in the best way we could, which was 
we um, we took you know the, the 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 collaborative group of people we had, and we said, how can we best utilize these in another way for for less money and what we can raise ourselves? And the the the, the initial financing from Green Rush just came from every single core member of uh, of that group putting in uh, putting in dollars themselves and uh and growing it from there we were making that movie regardless of anybody else and um you know it resulted in us uh, selling it to, to Lionsgate for for the North American rights which kind of quite frankly for a movie like that a small independent production it was probably about the best we could have done you know it it's um it uh just was the case of you know just going out there and doing it in that instance and with uh one one major lesson you know i learned on that not a lesson learned because quite frankly you know this to be the case but it's, it's easier said than done was that selling a movie with you know a-listers in it is a hell of a lot easier than selling a movie without uh without them and um certainly with uh with green rush i know that uh uh, our job would have been a hell of a lot easier had we had, uh, you know, marquee names to base it. Unfortunately, you know, the story and uh, I think the filmmaking and the, you know, the time we hit with it uh, was what allowed us to find a place in the marketplace. But, you know, it's a business, whether uh, whether artists want it to be or not. And so, um, yeah, I think um, the, the, the commercial, commercial viability when we were putting this together was, was something that was hugely important. And I'm so proud. I think everybody here is of uh, who, we, uh, who we managed to bring onto it. And I want to expand that question as well to anyone else who wants to include. I know I'd open things with the idea of success and failure. And I was just curious if anyone had any other examples they wanted to include where they were working on something with the intention of going one way and found it uh, not working and needing to try something new or discovering something along the way. And Misha, thanks for unpacking that original answer and then uh, describing for us a little bit about the independent film. Andrew, thank you as well too. Um, But I also wanna just make sure that if anyone else had an example they wanted to include uh, that they could just because I know that process of discovery when I'm writing is that thing where uh, I think I've got something until I've written to a certain point that I read it back over. And then I realize I've been missing the thing that I should have been paying attention to. So mm. I can only imagine how that might occur for all of you. Oh, yeah. I, it, it was kind of drilled into me very, very early on that you, you live or die by the quality of your work. And I did a, a, a theater workshop with uh, Michael Sheen when I was an actor back in the day. Um, and he always said, uh, your only compass is a story. So if you kind of in my head, I've put those two together, which is you've got to tell good stories. You're in the business of telling stories, whichever, whether you're producing, you're exec producing, you're writing, you're directing, whatever. Your job is to serve that story, make sure the story is good, make sure what is coming across to the audience is the best it can possibly be. And when you talk about success or failure, you, you know, you, you went to Misha's quote where you said it's binary, but I think it's kind of weird shades, shades of gray because even when you're in it and something's say going well, you know, like Helen said, or Andrew said, you, you're dealing with a moment and, you know, you think this is going to be great, but it doesn't work. You kind of, you improv around it. You find something that does work. Um, because as long as you are driving and serving that story, you can kind of suck up the kind of sort of small mini personal defeats along the way. If that makes sense. You are, you know, you, something doesn't come out 
I, I'm, I'm way beyond actually because I used to direct theatre as now so uh, theatre years ago so I'm now way beyond the point of actually caring you know what happens on stage you've got no control over um but you know when when those things go in a different direction and it's not what you, you were you were striving for I, I kind of go okay that's fine if it ends up you know you might feel inside you know the odd sound effect or the odd performance or the odd line kind of hits home or feels like a personal failure but at the end of the day when it goes forward it takes on a life of its own it's not necessarily a failure it's just different and it's kind of mm. kind of separating between you know what you think is a failure in your heart but actually you know it could it could just be that case it's something different um and then you know weirdly it's one of those things where you know i i am i have a rule where i never i will never tell anyone my bet bet was never ever ever so you know let, let you know let the audience judge they're the ones who are there to you know as long as you're pushing to tell the best possible story you're serving that story you know if things feel like a failure to you the person who receives it's not going to know so mm-hmm. let it go let it be a thing in the world at the end so, also i i i would agree i absolutely agree with that but i also find one of the one of the most rewarding things as a writer is when people, when it comes off the page into real life. Mm. Um, I've, I've written stuff for stage, a lot of it actually trying out stuff from unsinkable I put up on stage in, in scene studies or in on the short films I've done or on this one is an act of finding something that you had no idea was there. Complete surprise. And it's like, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of doing it that way, but it mm. really, it's better. Um, and that's actually one of the great rewards of, of a write, as a writer. It's hearing somebody just take a different take on it and a much better take. Or not a, you know, just a really interesting take, one that works completely. You go, oh, okay, that's just keep, keep going with that. Andrew or Helen, I don't want to leave out any opportunities you would love to share just because I, I know uh, in each aspect of a craft there's there's always those places to discovery if you had examples you wanted to include as well i'd love to hear uh, i think on this particular project for me it was a learning curve in terms of um what i already knew technically i mean there's always so much to learn in terms of sound and audio production that uh, i have a whole new batch of presets in my uh digital audio workstation that I've got actually the names of characters from Unsinkable in them because I sort of was sort of tweaking stuff as I went along if something needed a fix to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, in, in, in terms of things I've learned from it, then definitely my sound production skills have vastly improved and I hope they continue to do so. I think, I think what I always learn on every new project, one, I, I'm, um, I think what keeps me going is um, I, 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 I'm nervous about everything that I do. I'm a perfectionist by nature, infuriatingly so. And you, it's true, you're only as good as your last project. And um, I, I think that the, I mean, Unsinkable, uh, the myriad of other projects that we, we've actually done, once you've done it and you, you put it out into the wild, as Jack would say, and then you cross your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, invariably, if you you know if you've got a good team around you, you, you you're on reasonably safe territory. But uh, it's not guaranteed. Uh, yeah, my heart always slightly stops just before something's released. 
<laughs> you don't know. You don't know how an audience is going to react. You don't know if all your work is going to work, uh, whether you've actually come up with something that people are responding to mm-hmm. um, or not. Uh, you, and you, it's very difficult when you're so close to a project, and particularly for me, who have, I've been living for this with this project for so long and in various iterations. And as somebody who obviously completely connects to not only having been in the Merchant Navy, but also having been a, worked in, in the law, field of law and done salvage cases in the Admiralty High Court, Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this is the most qualified person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but therefore, you know, do I, are other people going to find it as interesting as I do? I don't know. We, we hope so. We think we're putting together something that, you know, will grip people from, epi- from all through, through from beginning to end of all, of all 11 episodes. Mm. And we keep our fingers crossed that all our work is, uh, is rewarded by people being mm. themselves rewarded by the experience. Well, we, we, well, we were uh, we, we were sold. That's why we all worked. Well, that's good. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> one thing well, worse. I hope we were. <laughs> one thing worse than being in a you know uh, in a film premiere or the, or being in people's presence when they hear it for the first time uh, is it's not as the uh, the filmmaker or the, the the audio maker in this instance that I can I can handle. Although it's of course it's nerve wracking. You're like and you you feel things for the first time because you'll it's amazing you'll hear it through somebody else's ears you'll see it through their eyes if you're in their presence and something that maybe sounded okay to you at the time it's like oh you'll hear what they've heard and all of a sudden uh you might want to correct something without them even saying it. you're just doing a sort of a uh a first uh first play or something but what is infinitely worse at least i've found infinitely worse for that is being the actor in something and turning up to the premiere and it's the first time you've ever had a chance to watch it you have no idea what they've done with you 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 pray that you know they've taken care of you. oh did they use this take did they use that and all of that but it's it's a much more insular uh experience and um you know it uh that i've always found terrifying to the core well i mean even i mean not, not name dropping but when we did a, a show of uh derek jacoby we did the Marsh mm-hmm. chronicles and he did uh, the interview of dpk afterwards and he was one quote, and I, I was it was very generous of him, but at the same time, it, it's very true. And he said, as an actor, you have to trust your director. Mm. That, you know, you, you, you do your job, but you've got to trust that the director is going to do good by you. Yeah. And, and it is. It's all about trust at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably one of my favorite things about a team conversation is I, I feel at some point, that's what everyone who's working on something together experiences, that feeling of failure and success is hand in hand with your trust in your work the trust of the person next to you and their trust in you. And what I love about this is that that was also the scenario that you were telling in this audio drama, the group of people on this ship whose very lives depended on whether they could trust the person standing next to them, how much they could trust them and and what that trust looks like when it's constantly being placed under increasing strain and the risks, the stakes continue to grow. Now, my, my thing is that I always love to think I understand what I'm doing when I start one of these conversations. I, I have this hope that I've read enough, that I've researched enough, that I've queued up some questions, that I've, I've done enough. And then there's always that feeling at the end that I have to recognize, which is the fact that I might've missed something. Now, I've been lucky enough to uh, wrangle over an hour and a half of your time now to sit down and talk about this. And while it would be great if I could say, yes, I've checked every box. And along the way, I filled in even the sub boxes. I know this all. Folks, I did it. We're done. 
but I'm well aware that I probably didn't. And at the end, one of my favorite things to do is to ask each of you, one, what did I miss? What is something that would be helpful for folks to know that just I didn't include in a question? And then if there isn't something of that example, what is a question you like to be asked that either I didn't ask or no one ever asks so that we can know like, hey, you know, there's a, there's things that would be so much fun to tell you, but no one ever asked me that question. And now I just sit waiting, hoping by the telephone, always questioning whether or not one day I'll get that question and I can finally give that answer. So uh, I'm going to march on down the line. It's kind of fun because on my screen, I've got John, Helen, uh, Misha, Andrew, and Jack, and that's the order I'm going to go in. So with that in mind, John, one, is there anything about talking about Unsinkable today that I might have missed that uh, listeners and viewers should know? And if there was a question, I suppose like one thing that your viewers and listeners might want to know about is, you know, what is it like for, for me, for us, Misha and I, particularly because we were working with them to suddenly find ourselves working with the likes of Brian Cox, John Malkovich, Thomas Brody Saxter and uh, Natalie Emmanuel. And the answer is it was freaking mind blowing. Um, you know, when Brian was the first person to come on board, he, you know, we, we were going out to agents, we were putting out offers to people and suddenly his, his agent said, uh, oh, Brian's going to read it. He's, very, he's usually very quick at this. I'm thinking this is a three, three hour, you know, almost three hour movie. It's a long, it's a long piece, um, audio movie. And uh, he turned around the next day and next day we just got a message saying he wants to do it. And it was sudden, that was the breakthrough with that, you know, once we had Brian on board, and when we, you know, we were so nervous. When John we didn't, re John didn't react with quite the same level of composure. There was, there was very <laughs> much a stand up in the air. I was standing on the desk screaming. <laughs> I was standing on my desk screaming with my arms in the air going, yeah, we got Brian freaking <laughs> So yeah, I was very organized about it. Uh, very, very controlled. Um, but when, you know, when we were so nervous and we would, we'd, we'd got the camera set up in the studio and, and we'd got the limo picking him up and we're de delivering him to, you know, making sure everything is COVID safe and all that. And then, and then he comes, oh my God, he's, he's come, he's arrived. He's actually here. It's not, it's not a, it's not a dream. And, you know, and then he worked and he was the nicest guy. And just so good at it. So good at it. And we're sitting looking at the screen and looking at each other going. <laughs> um, and then with John Malkovich, we were much even more nervous. I mean, well, we, we, we kind of, we, you know, okay, we got Brian Cox, but then it was John Malkovich. You know, he's an odd character. He certainly portrays odd characters. And it's like, what will he be like? And he was the gentlest soul. He was so polite. He called me sir. Not a <laughs> he took direction beautifully. And they both were very complimentary about the writing, which was great. I've got a photograph, which I'm going to frame blow up and frame which is John Malkovich in profile in the studio with the headphones on and the microphone and my script in his hand and you can read the name unsinkable by John Wilson and I have to tell you as moments in life go that is hard to beat as a as a person as a writer as a creator to have that I just Misha sent me the photograph he took a screenshot and sent it to me. I just, and sometimes even now, I just sit and look and go, I don't believe that happened. <laughs> but now you have a picture. You don't have to worry about factors like belief. It happened. You've got evidence. It happened. Yeah, it <laughs> happened. 
So that's a question I think that and other, others have asked me, you know, what's it like working with them? What was it like? And that was what it was like. Mm. Wonderful. Helen, uh, did I miss anything? Was there a question you would have liked me to ask today? Um, not a question, but in terms of things that I like to hear and something I did enjoy, although um, you probably really shouldn't be enjoying these kind of things, but uh, as one of the few people who probably heard every single take that was made, of the recordings of all the actors. Um, I'd love to put the gag reel together. <laughs> I will you know, host another conversation. Even, yeah. <laughs> and you even, can say uh, that. You know, even the best of the best get things wrong and there's a muttered swear word or something mm. under the breath there. So, I think we should do that. Yeah. It's an excellent idea. There was a moment with John Malkovich in particular, which really made me laugh, which was, uh, I think it was, he, he was questioning the pronunciation of a word that is quite mm. common in Britain, and it did make me laugh. <laughs> Hearing him repeating it back and forth to Misha and John and going, is it this? Is it this? I'm saying, stop saying that word. Is it, uh, is, does this begin with B and end in G? No, it was the one. Oh, it was, different one. Um, a different one, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> no I was trying but to work yes, out what that, that word was. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, Helen, thank you for including me. I really appreciate it. And I do want that gag reel. Um, I will Venmo. I will negotiate. No, um, I think actually you should probably just get it released out there as soon as possible. It's, it's probably <laughs> going to be a, a number one on the charts. And mm -hmm. it would be fun, if nothing else, to play it for all of us and then have us come back and say, so who wants to start first? because mm. we all heard you and all you can do now is either explain or, or let us, you know, enjoy what we heard and, and take it at face value. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, I do love the idea of a gag reel. Thanks for including We'll call it unthinkable. Oh, nice. <laughs> that is literally my favorite joke at the moment. How do you, how do you think the unthinkable? Mm. <laughs> With an iceberg. <laughs> With an iceberg. <laughs> Ah, uh, oh, the unsinkable, unthinkable. I like it. I really thank you it. and good I night. Uh, <laughs> here all week. Yeah. yeah, Helen apparently does comedy. Uh, <laughs> night, I don't. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Misha, out of curiosity, did I did I miss something in your eyes? Did I not ask a question you would have loved to have heard I and then like, answered? Um, it would have been interesting to touch upon the different um, attire that people have been wearing through, uh, through COVID. I, for one, <laughs> I think, have had given all of the people on, uh, on these Zoom feeds a rendition of a certain, uh, certain dressing gown. And uh, it's been quite <laughs> wonderful to be able to come in to, uh, to an office and, yeah, not have to, to, to wear any clothes that would be appropriate outside. Yeah, yeah don't forget the chest hairs. Yeah, no, they do get a trim every once in a while. Yeah, this is the thing. Andrew knows it so well at this point. He knows uh, <laughs> what level of chest hair there is, depending on the uh, depending on the day of the week. But um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that we've all been able to change our habits over this uh, this year, and uh, and that's one of them. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I have to now. So you're saying that the gown is in mm. some way shaped in such that you then uh, manicure. The chesters to uh, appropriately. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I brought this. I brought this upon myself. 
entirely. So I, uh, I simply can't not. I, I mean, I can't ignore it, but oh, everyone's the images going people are painting now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a, I have a certain dressing gown from Marks and Spencer's that has served me well for many years. And uh, depending on the day or the temperature in LA, quite frankly, then may or may not be. <laughs> Extra clothing. Well, at, at this rate, my li- I might outlive Marks and Spencer's as a brand. So you know. Oh wow! You know what? I'll have to buy another one before they go under. If that's the case. <laughs> Just think of Sherlock Holmes smoking gown. It's not that. <laughs> uh, and Andrew, is is there a question? Uh, is there one? Is there something I might have missed? And two, is there a question you would have liked asked that you haven't an answered? I, I don't know if it's a, a question so much, but I think it's. Um, I think what. Well, this show represents and in particular for john is that john had a dream uh, he had an ambition to get tell a story and get his story told and he's written it in different iterations and through happy chance uh, he he met with misha uh, and jack and it's become a reality and it's it's exceeded i think any of john's expectations in terms of both the ambition of it, the cast we've managed to gather, and the and the, and the collective talents of, of of all the people gathered here, and those who are not here, and I think what it represents is a, a, just a message to anyone: if you've got an ambition and you've got a desire, you've got a story to tell, don't give up. I mean, I remember when I first started out in the industry, and I went for my first interview to be a floor assist, assistant uh, in BBC. And uh, got told, oh, no, we, we, we don't think Andrew will get on with actors. We, we think no. And um, I went away. I was angry. I mean, I've directed or produced hundreds of hours worth of television and film and audio drama. I didn't give up. It was a red rag to a bull. So I think if there's, if there's one, one thing to take away is that John... John you know, through his tenacity and his belief and his not, and also just the knowledge of the story. You know, mm. no one knows this story better than John. And, he, mm. and his passion for it, and that was infectious and that got us all on board. And that's why Unsinkable is a reality now. Mm. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah. If I could just yeah. jump before, oh, Jack. Yeah. Sure. Just, John, please. Yeah, I, I'm passionate about this story. I also think it's very important that people know this story and what it represents in terms of um, what happened in the, in, during the Second World War and the people who have forgotten. 34,000 sailors died. And uh, they weren't in the armed forces. They were just civilians. And uh, without them, we'd have lost the war. Probably one of the the harder things to grasp, not only that number, but also the the choice made by so many, you know, uh, and a sacrifice. And also, I, I think it's important to keep in mind that um, I think I was reading recently that we've just had the 80th anniversary of the, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and that there's a, a a poignancy that goes with that understanding, that history, that that you're telling this story now at a point when, after so many decades, things can be forgotten, but that 80 years later, this is a story that continues to live because of the importance you saw in it, the importance uh, you believed in 
to writing it and then the importance the others share when it came to bringing it to life and making it available for audiences to rediscover and perhaps uh, give new life to a piece of history that otherwise could have been forgotten. And I think there's an importance to keep in mind with that as well. So mm. yeah. we actually had um, some descendants of the uh, the crew get in contact with us not so long ago. Um, it was uh, John, correct me, but it was the uh, the the grandson uh, of uh, of uh, which uh, which crew member was it? It's the son of the of the galley boy, John Jameson. Right. The young one of the men on board. Um, yeah, their two brothers got in touch. They had, they'd heard an, old, an interview uh, in, on Scottish radio by one of the cast was was doing an interview, and he mentioned this story. And they emailed. They individually mm. emailed both of us, and uh, you know they were very enthusiastic about it. They you know, and apparently he went on to do great things as a as a union organizer uh, organizer for the welfare of sailors. Um, mm. So I have an honor, and so I have a, a duty to to them um, to tell their story and to do it in a, a respectful way. And it just um, and I'm just glad that everything that happens on the ship, in terms of the facts of what happened, is what happened. Now, obviously, there is dramatic license, and there are things that we've added that you know are going on around them, or you know, and how they spoke to each other, or what they said. Obviously, all that has to be invented. You know, Jack and Rose weren't on Titanic, but the story itself is truthful. Right. Um, and I wanted to honour that. And I've, uh, there are things that go on around them that they're not aware of. And I was clear that they shouldn't be aware of anything that didn't happen. Um, I wasn't going to put them in a situation where we were telling part of the story that wasn't true for them, even though we might do dramatic stuff around it. Uh, and, and even just the context of it, the moment of, uh, of having, you know, uh, that connection come round full circle to us as well. It was just quite a, a moment, in, you know, in testament to what you were saying, Seth, you know, this history, you know, it, it, you know, then has a linear, linear direction straight back to people that it actually um, touched firsthand. Uh, and there will be many more. Um, I am, I am sure as, uh, as we, uh, we put it out there uh, more and um, yeah, I think we're just, we're incredibly excited to be able to. Hmm. Thank you for including that, John. Jack, uh, also, what did I miss? And is there a question you would have liked me to ask today? No, I mean, I, I think one of the nice things that this project sort of sort of represents in our own uh, kind of group here is that I, I, I firmly believe now, particularly, I think we spoke last time about my work with people like Fred Greenhouse and Dagaz Media and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that this kind of um cross atlantic coming together do you know what i mean that you know particularly with the audio storytelling uh it's going to be the future it's going to be the thing that needs to happen for i think for both the uk and the us and um i'm just you know i'm really i'm not only really proud of the fact that you know john has written a very personal and, and beautiful and a uh, very moving story about real life events, but it's it's just the sort of serendipity of the way that the the whole team has slotted together in that ethos of being you know the best of US talent, the best of UK talent to tell that story in a medium which is kind of very new and nascent to the US. Uh, but you know we have we have great traditions here in the UK, so for for radio and audio storytelling, so. 
Um, in a weird way, even though as much as San Dimitrio reaches back to that valiant story 80 years ago in the past, there's a little bit of the way everyone, you know, or, you know, who's been part of this team, I think in some ways is building a little bit of the future of storytelling, particularly in the audio sphere. So, mm. you know, there's a little bit of past, present and future, I think, all within this piece. And uh, I think I think that's a beautiful, gorgeous thing to hold on to, particularly when you hear it. Nice, man. It's hard to follow that, man. It's really hard to follow that. I, <laughs> I was talking I can... about following John with his beautiful monologue, you know, so it was like, you know, it's fine. Yeah, you guys are putting me through my paces and, and a bit more than that. I'm, I'm doing my best to keep up, but sometimes when, when I'm listening to what you guys are saying, I'm thinking to myself, all right, how do I not sound like an idiot after they've just spoken so beautifully? And that goes for everyone here. I mean, what I, what I love about this, and, and I'm going to you know give you everyone a chance to follow where you guys are, but my purpose behind this is uh, there are names, there are big names who draw a lot of attention. And I love that there can be that sort of excitement and emotion that goes with those names. But there are the people who actually build the structure of the thing, who actually go about designing it and executing it. And when Jack gave me the opportunity to speak with you all, that's what excited me. Uh, I'm a writer who loves my craft, no matter what it pays me, no matter what I'm recognized for. And there's also a sort of joy of recognizing where I get to be in that position. And it's a, it's a fun experience to, to know because if I was a writer who wanted to be an actor, I'd put myself in front of a screen somewhere, but I love sitting back here and enjoying this great discussion with so many people. What you guys have done for me is, and I think for everyone listening is talk about a project where it's easy to think about who the actors and performers are and luminary, Lumin, luminous names like John Malkovich, Brian Cox, but to understand the craft and the process is actually my thrill. It's where I get to show people, this is how it actually got done. This is the person who wrote the script and the words that they're now reading. This is uh, the person who took all of that dialogue and put it together, stitched it in stop motion fashion, no less, and, and made it sound seamless, you know. These are two independent filmmakers who understand what it's like to work with so little to collaborate so much and then also to turn around and when the opportunity to do more with more, it's almost like, well, okay, how far do you want me to go? Because pretty much I'm the gas and you're the brakes. And then to have Jack, who's introduced me to you all. It, it's a gift. Uh, it's one that I know any other craftsperson, anyone who loves their trade the way you all do and sees themselves at some point following your footsteps can hear this and say, so that's one of the ways they got it done. That's a path forward for me. These are the things I can look forward to striving towards day after day as part of my craft. And um, I want to thank you all for sharing that gift, your insights, your explanations, uh, your expositions <laughs> have, have provided <laughs> for everyone here uh, the chance to enjoy that because, Jack, you've pointed to something that others are recognizing and you've all described in some way, which is how this was achieved without the need for one space where all could gather, how this was achieved across oceans, how this was, you know, able to work around 
time zones and other what would be considered limitations to create a remarkable production, one that is continuing to garner attention and praise. And it's an example of how we move forward because we're in a pandemic, we've experienced a, a dramatic change to the way we live. And yet your art, your craft is something we're talking about today because you guys were able to move forward. You're showing us the future and you're doing so in style. Um, that was a lot of talking on my part, but for the <laughs> most part, it was an attempt to also wrap up what has been an amazing two hour conversation. I'm sure everyone needs to either stretch or use the bathroom or get food or whatever else it, it might be. So one, thank you all for taking the time to share those insights, to giving so much of your time. And if I could just give you all each an opportunity to tell us if you're working on something else, or if anyone who's listening is going, you're doing what I want to do. And I just would love to, I don't know, follow you on social media, maybe follow up and ask you questions, maybe start a conversation. Uh, one of the great things is the chance to, to do that. So if that's something that uh, you're open to one, if you can just tell us each what your next project uh, might be. And also if there's a, you know, so that people can look forward to whatever it is that you're doing next. And also if there's any social media platforms or forms of communication you like to use to engage with anyone who would love to follow up with you. I'm going to reverse the order this time. I'm going to go to Jack and then work my way on back. Jack. Sure. You know, like uh, I think I said this before, but if anyone wants to know more, they're starting out, they want to get into audio drama or just want to know more about it. Um, go to my website, jackbowman.net. There's a contact form. Drop, drop me a message, get in touch, sit down. We'll do a zoom. We'll do whatever you need. And uh, you know, I'll point you in the direction of whoever you need to talk to. Always happy to help. Always happy to rope in one more person. Like I did Misha and John a year ago. Audio <laughs> drama and podcast drama. So uh, yeah. If anyone's out there, complete newbie, and are hesitant about getting in touch, come, yeah, no judgment here. Come, come talk to me. Use that form, chatbowman.net. Perfect. Thank you, Chad. And Andrew? Um, yeah, I mean, you can go to our website, which is b7media.com, where uh, you can find out all the details of what we've done and what we're about to do, what we hope to do. Um, and on Twitter, at b 7 media And in terms of what we've got coming up, we're doing a, uh, a female Flash Gordon, which is going to... We decided we want to do something outrageously fun, very, very different from Unsinkable, called uh, Venner's Planet, which is based on a series of graphic novels by Robin Evans. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a female Flash Gordon meets Montessi Blaze. It's nuts. And actually, Misha is in it. <laughs> plays, an American, plays an American jock in it called Clayton. Uh, it's great fun and uh, the other big thing we're, we're doing is something going back to uh, how I started out two of my big mentors when I started was was uh, two soap supremos in terms of creating soaps angels uh, eastenders El Dorado it's Tony Holland and Julia Smith and I've always had a desire to do a radio soap and we are doing it now we're, we're actually recording our fir uh, first radio soap first national radio soap for what will be quite some time um some have said 40 years i'm not sure it's quite that long but it's it's certainly uh, exciting and we've got a fantastic cast and we're recording that it's called greenborn so those those are two of the projects we're working on at the moment 
But thank Wonderful. you for, for a very enjoyable and passionate uh, conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Misha. So, uh, yeah, the, you can find uh, you can find a little bit about what I'm up to on uh, on Instagram. I have at Misha Crosby, as well as um, there's uh, DaturaStudios.com. And uh, John, I'm sure we'll mention um, North Atlantic Ridge uh, uh, as well, which is his um, his site. Um, the uh, coming up, uh, in addition to what uh, Andrew had mentioned, which is Venice Planet, which couldn't be more polar opposite in terms of energy. <laughs> very lighthearted, and, uh, and uh, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's also. It's wonderful as well. I, I, I mentioned this, you know, when, uh, when you're playing a radio character with a six pack, you don't have to go to the gym. It's brilliant. Uh, and so that's Or take been... your dressing gown off, which... Uh... Well, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to at all. Right. No chest hairs required. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I feel he would wax if Clayton was... Uh, was, uh, <laughs> was anyway. But uh, there's also listened to that have had a few different things in development. There's... There's something uh, there that uh, is oh, would love to, to say, but uh, not quite ready to talk about. But there is a project called American Roulette, which is about um, the uh, one of the first black uh, millionaires in Houston, Texas, uh, in the 60s, a man called Mr. R.C. Jones and uh, his rise and fall uh, of the, uh, the American dream, or as he likes to call it, the game of American Roulette that he's had to play. And um, that uh, that uh, is going to be um, uh, going out there over uh, over this year, and we'll see about putting in a, a pre-production schedule, perhaps later in the year. Lovely, thank you, uh, Helen. One, is there um, any upcoming projects, and two, how can folks find you? Uh, my upcoming projects are. A lot of them are tied to Andrew's upcoming projects, so <laughs> Greenborn and Venus Planet. So he's, what can I say now? Uh, yeah, we also do um, audio books, so I tend to oversee some of those. We've got uh, a couple coming out for that. Marriage Bureau came out last week, which was uh, which I did the audio book for. So I do some narrating and voiceover work as well. Uh, one of the books still in production, which got parked to take on Unsinkable, was uh, Misha's project, A Game for Gentlemen, which uh, I'm hoping to finish now that I'm finished Unsinkable. Uh, and yeah, I do. I do promo production, radio promo production. Been doing that for the BBC and 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 other clients. And yeah, initially my uh, audio career started by being radio presenter and a voiceover artist, which is why my Twitter handle is at HQ Voice. So you can find me on there. And everything else you can find that I'm doing is on the B7 site as well. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> and John. Uh, yeah, I can be found. Uh, my name John Mawson. You can find me using that on Twitter and on Insta. I've got a website, johnmawson.com, uh, which is really more of an acting website with stuff because I do all of that. Um, and northatlanticridge.com is my production website where you can see stuff that we've made, stuff that I've written that looking to get made. Uh, in terms of upcoming, I'm currently a recurring guest star on the Mindy Kaling show, uh, Never Have I Ever season two which is filming at the moment uh, i did episode one before christmas and i'm filming episode six in a couple of weeks so when that comes out on netflix you better see my lovely mug on that playing uh, a different role <laughs> <laughs> um 
you mentioned something about you know what to say to people who want to do this. Um, it sounds like uh, a, you know a horrible cliche that if you want to write, write. All I can say is that if this is the most ambitious thing that I have certainly ever had made, getting made, I have written it many times. And if it's as good, if it's good, it's because I've gone through so many iterations. I've gone over and over and over it in my mind. I've written different versions. I've, you know, no, I know it backwards and forwards. And it's been improved and improved and improved because of the input of Misha and, and Andrew and Jack. All of that helped, you know, it, it, it builds quality. And it's, as Jack said, it's in the writing. If it's good, you've got a much better chance of having something done. And the other thing I would say is just make shit. Like, just make it. <laughs> you want to make a short film? Is the camera that the iPhone is plenty good enough? Just make it. You've written something by five minutes, make it. Just get some mates together and make it. Might not be great, might be fantastic, and you'll learn, but you will learn doing it and you'll enjoy it and it's fun. I, I, it really annoys me when actor, friend, actor friends say, Oh, I haven't got a reel, I've got to get my reel together. It's like, just make it. <laughs> it's so easy. Um, so that the resources be- today are, are better than they have ever been, you know, like before, you know, trying to get a you know, 35 millimeter camera maybe was your only option. You know, now it's no, it's wonderful. The technology at, uh, at people's disposal, I think. Yeah. So I would just say, make sure, make sure, make, make, just make, make shit and write. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure it's I- not too shit. <laughs> if it is shit, don't show it to anybody. If a couple of friends and they go, well, it's all right. And you know, it's well, as you said, you've written it many times, which is my, my favorite thing to hear, you know, how many times it takes to get something right. I have a friend, a classmate who uh, recently, she, she got a lot of attention. Uh, there's a book called The, the Henna Tattoo Artist or the, the Henna Artist. And we were, yeah, it's a, she's a, I can't remember who it is now. Reese Witherspoon Book Club. Her name's Alka Yoshi. Um, and we were talking recently because we want to do a conversation about hers. And she said, I love going to talk to people and explaining to them that th- what they're reading is my 43rd draft of the entire book. And that that's not something everyone really gets. But, you know, it's the first thing I like to point out to them when they ask me, what is it that, you know, they should know about my book? She starts out with, I've written this 43 times and that's why it's that good. And, you know, any mistakes you're catching, well, hey, I've written it 43 times. I caught as many mistakes as I could. Maybe on another edition, I'll catch more. But <laughs> the idea is I worked at it. And what you just described there is, is if you want to do any of these things, if you want to be involved in any of the roles that might be uh, attached to audio drama or whatever your passion is, you have to work at it. You mm-hmm. simply have to do that. Uh, I will say, though, it sounds like if you work at it, there is that chance you can meet like minds, you can collaborate with other hardworking professionals, and you can be part of a team, potentially one as successful as the unsinkable team has demonstrated today. Thank you all for an amazing conversation for two hours out of your day that uh, it, it feels like a wonderful donation from from really the best of folk. So. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Seth. (laughs) It's been nice for us to been nice for us to just be able to sit and chat over it ourselves because we really had a chance to do it in the same in this way in this format and to really get each other's input in in the way that you've you've drawn out of us. It's been great fun. That's my favorite thing about interviewing people. I, I, I love 
asking questions, getting answers and discovering more questions to ask along the way. And your answers have been pure gold. I, uh, I might be tempted to, to auction off this recording at some point. So <laughs> value I find within it. With that, I'm going to stop recording and allow us to uh, go ahead and uh, close things off, uh, off air. But uh, with that, everyone, you've had the pleasure of listening to John Mawson, Helen Quigley, Misha Crosby, Andrew Mark Sewell, and Jack Bowman, all part of the Unsinkable team. And if I'm lucky, all returning guests for a future conversation. Thank you all. Bye now. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. And that brings us to the end of episode number 86 of Storytelling with Seth. That was the unsinkable team, the amazing combination of Helen Quigley, John Mawson, Andrew Mark Sewell, Misha Crosby, and Jack Bowman. I'd like to thank them once again. I know I did it at the end, but I'll do it again because it was an absolute joy to hear their process, to listen to the lovely banter and the heartfelt descriptions of not only their process, but their respect for each other's uh, skill and the application that was offered to this amazing project, which now everyone will get the chance to experience. They included all of the ways you can get in touch with them, and I'll do my best to include as many of those ways possible in the liner notes. Should you still have questions, should you still need to find something that only I can provide, please don't hesitate to let me know. You can always find me on Twitter as One More Singleton or on the internet simply by searching out Seth Singleton and the word story. I look forward to the opportunity when I get the chance to sit back down with this amazing team for future projects, which they alluded to at the very end of this episode. And I already have a feeling some of them might be on very soon. How can you know for sure? Subscribe now. I guarantee you'll never miss out. Until next time, looking forward to sharing a new story with you. <laughs>